With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Raptors. We launching a podcast. This is good news. I would like to be a part of that. I could make it up and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Right on. Just keep going. I bleed green. Should probably have somebody look at that. (laughs) All right, everyone. It's my pleasure to welcome in the one, the only, the longest tenured Celtics player, Marcus Smart, to the podcast (laughs) of View from the Raptors behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. Marcus I had to say your name that way because it's the only way to say it in Boston. But tell me how much you miss hearing Tommy Heinsohn scream your name like that. Oh, man, it's never going to get old. You said it right. You know, being in Boston, you have to say my name like that. My name is perfect for the Boston accent with the two R's and everything. So, But I'm definitely going to miss hearing Tommy saying my kiss and just being able to sit down and, and you know, really talk to him and pick his brain and, and listen to what he has to say. Doing preparation for this, one of the most searched terms for you is can Marcus Smart dunk? We know you can. <laughs> really? Yes. Is that first of all? What do you think about that? The people think you can't dunk. <laughs> that's inter- that's really interesting. You know, I've been dunking since I was in seventh grade, so it's it's kind of weird to to hear that. I guess just because I don't really dunk so much anymore that that people forget that I still can. Well, I gotta jump in and say I just talked to one of your teammates recently, probably about a week ago, offline. And he told me, well, I asked him who the best dunkers on the team are now that Javante is no longer in Boston. Mm-hmm. Guess whose name came up? Of course. Marcus of Smart's course. name of, came of up. Of course it did. <laughs> but I, I'm told that you do some crazy things behind closed doors. I mean, I know you do the over-the-head shot when you're warming the up before the shot. games. Yeah. But I've heard that you had some pretty crazy dunks and, and just some shots that you make when the, the doors are closed and no one else is in there. Definitely. It's a lot of things that my teammates, they get to see that others don't, especially like during practice. You know, I'm always betting those guys, just messing with them. You know, I miss a couple of shots that they're like, there's nowhere you're going to make. And then, you know, I, out of nowhere, be like, just bet it. One shot is all I need. And then I'll shoot it and walk away and it goes in. They're like, how does he hit that every time? <laughs> or I'll do some type of, some type of shot or, or, or dunk or something to the basket that, that just has them in awe. And they're just like, why we don't see this in the game? It's just like, <laughs> listen, this is this is not for game stuff, right? Why not? Why don't you bring it to the parquet, Marcus? Unfortunately, I don't get that opportunity like others do to bring it to the parquet. So, you know, I kind of keep it in my back pocket. Well, Marcus, it's crazy to me. I feel like it was just yesterday that I was down in New York City. Uh, I, I believe it was at the Barclays Center at that time on draft night. And your name gets called. I'm the first person from the Celtics to shake your hand. I don't even know if you remember that. I actually do. We walk in the back and, you know, we start to talk and you open up your jacket and you're telling me about what's on the inside of your jacket. First and foremost, does it not feel like time flies in this business that that was seven, almost eight years ago at this point? (laughs) Yeah, I I thought the same. And secondly, didn't that jacket basically like tell your life story? I feel like everything important to you was on that jacket, no? Definitely, you know, and I thought the exact same, you know, Tom is fly, you know, I'm talking to my family, I'm talking to, you know, the teammates, the younger guys here, and, you know, just reminiscing how, you know, quickly that, 
you know, I'm in year seven already, and it felt like yesterday I was just hearing my name being called. And uh, speaking of that jacket, I still have that jacket to this day. You know, it's it's like hung up, it's preserved perfectly. But yeah, it told my life story. You know, it had um, the tattoo I have of my brother, you know, my mom's name, my high school, where I'm from, a couple more tattoos, my college number. It was just a whole unique creativity thing that we did with the jacket for my mom at that time when she was still here to, to, to witness it and and to really bring it to fruition that, you know, um, the dream that that I've been working for and that she sacrificed so much for is finally here. Where is that jacket hanging today? It's in my closet at my house. I keep it everywhere, no matter where. It stays with me. I'm waiting. I'm trying to get a frame for it. I'm actually frame it with the with the jacket open and hang it up so it'll never be forgotten. So right now it's robe, 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 jacket, robe, robe, robe. <laughs> That's what your closet looks like? Exactly. <laughs> and young game changer sweatshirts. So and you got to represent the Definitely your game changer sweatshirts. But Marcus, it is that origin story is what we want to get into today and, and talk about with you and, and hear you tell your story. So for me, I think when I hear your story, what stands out to me, your mom, and I think we're going to talk a lot about your mom, Camelia, but um, also your brother. And, and you mentioned Todd. Can you tell us about Todd? You know, from... Me being so young, I didn't really get to see him play as much. You know, I, to be honest, I didn't get to see him play at all. I've been told he was even better than you. Definitely. Definitely. So he actually, he definitely actually was. He was actually the tallest one of my family members. He was 6'6". Six, six. Wow. And, you know, he was more of the, the scorer of the family when it, when it came to that. He didn't play no defense at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, he, he <laughs> so. That doesn't run in the family? It does, actually. He's the only one. You know, the other okay. two of my brothers, you know, they play defense and, you know, um, you know, they're defensive minded. But him, he was straight score the ball and that was all he cared about. He can walk in the gym, not stretch and score the ball. And that was kind of his thing. So he actually played with Thomas Hill, who actually played in Duke and went to Duke. So him and Thomas Hill were teammates. And um, it was just unique to hear about that. And, to, to you know, I've seen a few videos of him when he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he ended up having a tumor behind his left eye. So, you know, he had to go into the hospital on a game day. I think it was senior night. I want to be, I'm not sure it was senior night or it was on the night, but he was checked in the hospital and, you know, he was going to his chemo and he had this tumor behind his left eye that just closed his eye shut. And uh, literally about 20 minutes before the game, they said he comes walking in. It's a full loaded gym. Everybody's like, you know, they're kind of upset because he's not going to be here. They understand what's going on. And then they see him walk in and walk out with his jersey and warm up. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, who checked you out of the hospital? And he's like, myself. He was like, if I'm going to die or God's going to take my life or I'm going to, you know, leave this world, I'm going to do it my way, you know, and doing what I love to do. And that's playing basketball. This is what makes me happy. And they said he went out with one eye closed and scored, I think, like 30 plus points and just shot the ball like awesome. efficiently very well. And it was it was just a, a sight to hear. And just to hear my family explain it to me and talk about it was just something that, you know, just always stuck with me. How many times have you heard that story, Marcus? Probably a million times, literally. Like every time we get together as a family, we get together, we, we reminisce about all the good times. Uh, we had this thing where uh, ever since I was younger, we, my family would come over at like around Friday night on the weekends. And, you know, the grownups would play cards, dominoes, mm -hmm. cook, drink the, you know, their alcoholic beverage, the kids. We'll be in the other room outside on the basketball court, on the field, at the park, playing and, um, you know, just really, really having those generations mix and, and, and keep the family together. For the people out there who don't know, you guys, you and Todd were separated by 16 years. Oh, 10 no. Or 15 years, oh, right? No, no. Times two. So about 20 to 30 years almost. So he wow. would have been to this day 51 or 52. I can't remember wow. off the top of my head. So about 20 years. And that's why you weren't able to watch him. That being said, I'm, I'm sure that he had a pretty significant impact on your life in general. What, what do you remember most about your days with him before he did pass away? Um, although I wasn't able to see him on a basketball court, just being in my life in general, you know, he was the guy. He was one of those guys that, you know, you can tell he was sick. You can see it. You know, he was already a tall, kind of slender guy. So, you know, the chemo really affected him, you know, when it got to his stomach and came back and started to spread. He started to lose a lot of weight that he already didn't have. So it, it was very relevant that you can see to the eye. But he never allowed that affect him. It'd be days where he comes from chemo and, you you know, he's hurting and he don't want to eat anything. He can't keep anything down. He's tired. But he'll be like, all the kids, let's go. We're going to go to the pool. You know, take us to the city pool and. 
and you know he sits out there in the hot sun and and you know he picks up some type of energy i don't know where he gets it from to get in and play with us a little bit and take us to get ice cream and then it was times where same thing you know he comes home he's not feeling well and, and you know my mom she was a home nurse so she was constantly taking care of him her brother at the time before he passed he was a paraplegic so he you know he was paralyzed from the waist down so she was taking care of both of them and you know going to house to house and taking care of other people so she had a lot on her plate and he would come in and she knew how tired he was and things. And he'd be like, let's go to the mall. Let's go shopping. She's like, no, it's okay. And he's like, I'm not asking. Like, let's go. Like, <laughs> you know, he was just that guy, you know, no matter how bad he felt within himself, he never allowed that to show with us and let it affect him of intertwining and, and you know, just being in our life. How old were you, Marcus, when all of that was going on? I was about 11 around that area. I remember actually the day that he finally was pronounced dead. It was um, a, a week before my mom had actually got in a car accident and uh, she yeah. was and you know, went to the hospital and she was okay, but it was a scare because they kept in there for about two or three days to make sure everything's okay. And I just remember coming home from school with me and my cousin one day and um, my aunt comes home and she's crying and I'm like, what is going on? I'm thinking, oh, what happened? Like, what's going on with my mom? Like, what's going on? And she's just bawling. And I'm just like, what is going on, you know? And we kind of, me and my cousin kind of feel the energy and we start crying. And then she tells us, hey, uh, we got to go to the hospital. You know, it's Todd. And, you know, my mind is on my mom. So when I heard it was Todd, like I just froze, you know? And instantly when she said that, like my mind just went to the worst thing possible that it's over, like he's no longer with us, which she ended up going to say that uh, he's brain dead. We have him on life support. Uh, but they pronounced them brain dead and the family's there and they're about to take them off. And um, so you, we need to go to the hospital. So, and it was crazy because I had an AAU game tournament that we were supposed to go to. And my mom and everybody was just like, you know, we figured, you know, you didn't want to go. So they canceled and told my coach that he's not coming because my whole team knew everybody, but me at the time knew about my brother until they was waiting to tell me. And I remember we got in the car, we're rushing to the hospital. I see some of my family members outside. And I remember it is like the longest hallway I've ever walked in my life or ran down my, my, my life. I'm running, you know, and I just see family members left and right coming at me crying. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, like what's really going on? Like, is this true? Like, is this really happening? And I remember I walk into the room. It's my mom, a few of my cousins. And I remember they had him in, his, in the hospital bed. His eyes were shut. He was on his back. He had his hands crossed. And my mom was sitting by his side. She was holding his hand and she was crying. And I remember asking her, can I touch him? Like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, what is this? Like, I'm, it looked like he was sleeping. So I didn't know what was really going on to, mm -hmm. the, to the extent. And she was like, yeah, you know, trying to fix herself. And I remember touching his feet and they were cold as ice. Cold as ice. And I was like, why is he so cold? Like, what's going on? And, you know, at the time, like, I knew he was brain dead. But she was like, you know, he can still hear you. You know, just talk to him. You know, I remember climbing in bed with him, giving him a hug and kissing him on his head and told him, you know, I love you. And, um, you know, I wish you you would come back to us. But we understand. And, you know, don't worry. I got everything from here. And I remember walking out the room. I couldn't take it. So I walked out the room and my oldest brother at the time, I remember it was crazy because I'm like a 12 year old. He grabbed me and was like, you know, wipe your tears like as he's crying. <laughs> wipe your tears, you know, um, we don't have time for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's gone. You know, it's all on you now. You know, this was the last line of defense for the family. He was the one that was supposed to, you know, change everything and, and you know, change everything around for the family. Now it's on you. We don't, he was talking about him and my, my other brother at the time. We don't have our chances and, you know, we don't effed up on it. You know, mom, she's all you got now. You are, she has, and you're the one that has to do it. So there's no time for you to be a kid. So you got to throw all that kid stuff out the window and like, you know, I know you want to be with your friends, but this isn't the time to do that. You know, you got to really focus and you got to get to college and you have to make your dream come true because you're it. So, you know, I've never had a spring break in my life. Uh, it was very rare that I hung out with friends. I was playing every weekend, every day I was playing. Not only in high school, we would go straight from high school to summer ball, summer ball back to high school to different. It was just I was constantly busy. I was a lot of times I was away from my family. So that's kind of where it has been for me ever since. You know, I had this mindset where, you know, every day I go out here, I have to play like it's my last because it could possibly be my last. And, uh, you know, my oldest brother didn't have a chance to 
to, to, to live out his dream. And it was taken away from him short uh, in a short amount of time. So, you know, you have to go out here and never take this game for granted. I mean, Marcus, I just listening to you say all of that and talk about all of that that could happen in one day to a kid who's 10, 11, 12 years old. Those are like your developmental years where, you know, not a lot of people go through that type of tragedy and are able to come out on the other side stronger is what it sounds like. Like that, that moment in the hallway with one of your other older brothers really changed you for the rest of your life. When you look back on that moment, just how important, I mean, obviously it's one of the toughest days of your life, but it sounds like it's also one of the more inspirational and, and positively impactful days on your life as well. Definitely. You know, and, and, and even after, you know, when we finally put him to rest and buried him, and, it, you know, it didn't just automatically click with me. I was in a, in a bad state of mind. I was in a bad place, a very dark place where, you know, I was rebelling. I was, you know, just doing everything I can to, to get the pain away from me and uh, really diverted away from me into something else. So, you know, I was, you know, I was getting in fights in school. I actually got kicked out of my school in Lancaster. And it's kind of how I ended up in Flower Mound. Uh, I got kicked out of my school in Lancaster. I ended up going to stay. What, what got you kicked out? Fighting. So I actually got in. They had a rule, like too many fight rules. So I think this was like my 10th fight of the year. And they were like, you know what? We're tried. And because this time I put a kid almost in a hospital. So they were like, this is enough. So they sent me to what's called Alternative Education Program, AEP. Never forget it. It's, it was... It was horrible. It was, it was, there's a place that you don't want to be. I've seen kids that were in there since second grade and now in eighth grade. And it's, it's pretty much a kid jail. You go to school and, and at the time we were in uniform. So, you know, you can only wear an orange shirt, white shirt, black shirt. Those are only three colors you can wear. You're going to wear khaki pants, black pants, white pants, black shoes, white shoes. And I remember your first 10 days in there, your white shirt. And everybody knows you have on a white shirt, you a newbie. Everybody knew it. Day 20, you're kind because of, they started off with 30 days. They give you 30 days and you can obviously get more time at it, more time released. Literally, like, like it's a kid's prison. Like, it's crazy. And, um, day 20 to 30, you got on the black shirt. And so, keep you got people kind of know, like, okay, they're kind of in the middle of their, their time. They're almost getting out. And if you have an orange shirt, you're on your last 10 days or whatever, and you're kind of getting out. And you actually have to give, like, inmates do when they come up for parole they have a hearing of should we let you out or not you know and mm -hmm. you can get an early release or they can wait till your actual day to release you in you know it was crazy this is how we and they made us stand in line everywhere we went we walked in line one out the line following the leader couldn't break the line uh, we had report cards every day if if your report card didn't like if your grade was below a 90 that day didn't count Wow. So that day remained it on your record. So you have to every day and, you know, if, say you get in a fight in there or you get into some trouble there. It wasn't like, all right, send you to the principal office. The principal will come down. He'll give you an option. You can get more days at it or you can take three paddles with the paddle. Oof. And, you know, so it was just like and this guy. He was like six, nine, just a big guy. And uh, I've seen guys and girls take up to 20 paddles one time. Like, it's just like, what are y'all doing? Like, I've seen people like get a hundred more days because they didn't want to take the paddle. So the days kept adding up and it was- This is crazy to me to hear this because this isn't that long ago. I feel, like, I feel like right now, like you would not hear about that anywhere in America. It's like not okay anymore. Nope. I don't know. Crazy stuff happens in Texas, Mark. Yep. It was, <laughs> it was a different, it was a different, I mean- I've had kids where it's true. I've never I'm lived leaving. in Texas. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's Texas is, Texas is weird. It's its own little state. It's its own little country, in a yeah. sense. Um, but I've seen kids where you coming in to school or leaving, and they're on a school bus coming in. And I ha we had one kid on there who peed in a water bottle and threw it at a teacher off the school bus. Like these are the type of kids that I'm in at this school with. Like. I'm constantly have to watch my back because I might have to I might have to fight somebody here. And that's just how it was. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, dang, like, how did you get out, Marcus? When I first went in, I was just like, I was really down. Like, I don't want to be here. I should be here. Like, this is this is crazy. Like, what's going on? You know, and I just remember my mom telling me, you know, there's something you got to deal with. You, you got yourself into this and you got it. You got to You got to do the time. You got to 
get up out of there. You got to mind your business and, you know, and get up out of there. So, you know, it was a lot of temptations. It was a lot of people really edging me on and, you know, trying to get me, you know, I just remember, you know, just keeping my head down and, you know, staying to myself as much as I could, trying to do all the work I could, just really trying to be good and get this good behavior where I can get an early release. And I remember, I think I got out on day 25. I went up to the board and they asking me these questions why I think they should let me go. Have I learned my lesson? Like, it was very humiliating. Like, like I said, it was a kid prison. You just, I'm looking like, what is going on? Like, and then, you know, they have every responsibility and, you know, the, the leverage to, to deny you and say, no, we don't think you've learned your lesson 10 more days. Like, it's, it was ridiculous. So, but, you know, I just continued to stay my course and really thought about what my brother told me. You know what I'm saying? Like, the road I'm going down is not what Todd would want. Or, and if he was here, he wouldn't even allow you to be going through this. So, like, what are you doing? I remember, you know, um, once I got out, I told my mom I had a friend who lived in Red Oak at the time. It was about 20 minutes from Lancaster. And I used his address and I started going to school there from my seventh to eighth grade year. And then I got into some trouble there. My eighth grade year with a teacher. I remember I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So my best friend, Phil Forte, is at Flower Mountain already. I remember we were at a tournament. His dad was like, listen, you know, it's a great school up here. It's a refreshing new vibe for you. It's a great education you can get in. And, you know, you will have somebody that, you know, a friendly face to help you get around. So it was weird because I'm a, at the time I'm a ninth grader. Two weeks in, I tell my mom, I'm like, listen, I, I can't do it anymore. She was like, what are you talking about? So I explained the situation. I'm like, it's getting to the point where, like, I'm going down one road two roads. It's either in jail or I'm going to be dead by the age of 21. Like I see it because it's just so much out here that's tempting for me and it's, it's really trying me. So she was like, so what are you saying? I'm like, we got to move. And you know, at a kid at this age to make that decision, you know, it took a lot because I'm leaving my family behind. I'm leaving all my friends behind and starting something new. And I moved to a predominantly all white school. Like I'm just, I'm already just down, you know, I mean, and yeah. um I remember we said, okay. And three days later, I go and get my transcripts from the school and everybody's surprised. Like, where are you going? Cause I didn't tell anybody. I just left. And they were like, oh my gosh, like, why are you leaving? And like, I just got to do it. Never talked to it. I, was, I rarely talked to the, to some of my friends back at the time back then. Thinking about it now, it was probably the best decision I could have made for not only me, my family and, and my career, you know? Uh, and, you know, I'm thankful for that, you know? And, and it took a lot. And like I said, those words from my older brother, really resonated with me and stayed with me to make that decision because I really didn't want to make it. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But like I said, I'm, I'm very glad that I made that, that that move. Marcus, the older brother that you're talking about, is that Michael? Nope. My oldest brother, Michael is the next youngest. He's the second youngest okay. compared to me. Uh, the brother I'm talking about uh, is Jeff. His name okay. is Jeffrey Westbrook. My oldest brother is Ty Westbrook. And my the next oldest is Michael Smart. And then it's me, the youngest one. And the age difference between me and Michael are nine years. So wow, we're we're we're, we're all kind of scattered around the, the charts uh, when it comes to that. Because that was my next question. While all of this is going on, Michael was having his own struggles, right? Definitely, you know. And uh, he was taking Todd's, you know, death very hard, just as hard as I was. And you know, he he was he was caught up in the life early. Um, where we stayed, you know, he was in the gangs, he was out in the streets all past the curfews, he was doing this, he was doing all kind of stuff, you know, he was, I've seen him deal drugs to my some of my friends in high school, and I'm just like, like, what do I say? Like, what do you say, like, to this? Like, I, like, I gotta go to school with this kid, like, but this is my brother, like, what do you say? You know, I was, I was, I was constantly being stuck in... What did you say? Or did you not you say know, I just, I stayed away from it, you know, and that's the one thing I can... You know, although he was going through his mess, one thing he made clear is that everybody stayed away from me. You know, don't don't. He's not involved. He's not in the game. He's not affiliated with none of y'all. He's not doing drugs. Don't come his way. Like, stay away from him. So it was, you know, that aspect was cool. So it was I was cool with those guys and they they knew not to mess with me. But at the same time, like if anything was to go wrong. I knew that if my brothers went around, I knew I still had people around that I could that I could go to if I needed to. So it was, it was weird. It was weird, you know, having that. He, he was dealing with his own little things and, you know, to, to have him, you know, come up on the other side was a miracle for us. I remember literally about four days after we buried Todd, 
I never forget it. I walked in my in Michael's room and I opened his drawer and I see a plate, a razor, and this crystallized white rock. And I'm like, what the? I think it's at the kid. I'm a kid. I'm like, this is some sugar. Like, why he got sugar on a plate? Like, what is he doing? Glad he didn't taste oh, it. No. Me too. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, nah, this not sugar. It had no smell. Like, I was like, I don't. I set it down. Day seven, we get a call that my brother's in the hospital. Um, I'm like, what's wrong? He OD. And um, remember, my uncle who was paralyzed at the time, he was laying in his bed and my brother was standing in the doorway talking to him and he just collapsed. And my uncle crawled out of his bed. Remember, because he's paralyzed from the waist down, crawled out of his bed, picked him up. He had hit his eye on the fan when he fainted. He fell so hard that it just left a big black eye and picked him up, called 911. They came, pumped his stomach and the doctor told him, he said, listen, after he got done, he woke up, he said, listen. My job is to save lives. If you're going to do this to yourself, don't come back to this hospital. They said he had enough cocaine in the system to probably kill a baby horse at that time. Oh, my God. Which was, like I said, a miracle. Like, we couldn't even, like, we were like, yo, like, what's going on? That's when we figured out, you know, he had, he was really taking it hard. And like I said, for him to come out on the other side of that was a miracle for us. You know, he's doing great. And I think, you know, it sounds like both of your brothers who you've talked about to this point of some pretty difficult stories they impacted you in different ways and got you to where you are today in a way. And I know you've mentioned her many times already. And every time someone Googles Marcus Smart, your mom's name is going to be attached to it in the result because you have so many stories about how she impacted you, just your, your family all together and your mom leading the way. Talk about your mom. I, I do want to hear you talk about your mother, Camelia, and, and her impact on turning you into who you are today? Oh, man. She was, she was my best friend. I think for, for her, having all boys, it was, it was perfect for her because she was more of the tomboyish type of mom where you know, she played basketball. You know, her mom played basketball. Her mom played softball. Like, she had a lot of brothers who just kept her around. And, you know, um, so for me, having her, she's my best friend. We, she always told us, if you can't talk to me about it, you shouldn't be doing it. So, you know, it didn't matter what it was, no matter what trouble we was in, we could always go to her and, you know, just talk to her. You know, I had numerous talks about, you know, the fights and I don't feel like this. And, and you know, she's just constantly giving me that advice to move on. And when I'm down or don't know what to do, she was constantly there. But and I think it showed, you know, everybody that knew her, loved her, everybody that didn't know her, loved her. Because of just who she was, you know, she 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 was so selfless. She would give her right arm for anybody. It was times where she didn't eat because she was making sure we were okay. I just remember at I was seven at the time, and I was in the my my dad's pickup truck. He's driving. I'm in the middle. She's on the right, and she was, you know, just kind of down a little bit. And I kind of feel it was right before Todd's incident, um, before he passed, and. You know, you kind of tell it was kind of getting to her. And I just, you know, I tapped him like Christmas was coming around as well. I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? Like, you know, she's like, it, nothing. It's OK. I think at the time it was we didn't have anything to give me for Christmas. Like, guess what? You know, I just told her, I was like, I'm good. I don't. She asked, said, what do you want for Christmas? Like, I don't want nothing. You know, I just, I just want to be with my family. Like, I just want to be able to spend Christmas with my family and brothers. Like, and I remember telling her, I said, and I tapped her on the back and gave her a hug. And I said, don't worry. When I make it to the NBA, you'll never have to work again. And I'll make sure of that. And she just busted out crying. And How old were you when that happened? I was seven. You were seven? I was seven years old. I said, if God, my exact word, if God blessed me to, to make it to the NBA and live my dream, you would never have to worry about anything in your life again. And, and she didn't? She didn't at all. You know, and she cried. And, you know, at the time she was like, yeah, all right. You know, um, I think I said that to my mom and she was like, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, as a seven year old, you know, you hear that as a parent, you're like, OK, it's cute. OK, but you don't really believe it. And then, like I said, the Christmas thing came around and I remember, you know, Christmas came and I didn't get any gifts that I knew I wasn't getting. But my brother Todd, like I said, Although he was sick, he found a way. Her and him found a way to, they got me my first basketball goal, like at the house that I had to play on. And he gave me a necklace with my initials. He got all of us a necklace with our initials, but he wrapped them up in newspaper. So everybody's like, what is this? <laughs> and, you know, it's this jewelry box. So after the New Year's, he ended up passing away. So I got to have my wish of spending one last Christmas 
with my brother and family, but my mom, she's our rock. You know, we're all mama's boys, you know, no offense to our dad. We love him to death, but it's just a different vibe we have with our mom. And and I think he knew that and everybody, everybody that knew us knew that, like, you know, it does no matter what, like, this is our mom. Like you don't, don't, don't try it. Don't, don't try anything. Don't try to get over on her. Like we're not having it in. And she showed that she showed her love and she let it be known. I love my boys. And, you know, but she also, she was firm. She didn't, you know, having all boys, you kind of have to be. I heard she was tough on you guys. Oh, she was, she was the toughest of us all. Like, it's funny because we'll hear like people like at the age of AU, we, we always had coaches cussing and everything. It was fine. We were just like, okay. And everybody's like, 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 that scares us. Like, hi, y'all. I'm like, listen, you know, my mom, that's normal. Like, that's, this is nothing. <laughs> My mom, like, it's ridiculous. All right. Well, we've heard quite a bit about your upbringing. We're going to take a quick commercial break and talk about how that upbringing has turned you into who you are today and the player that the Boston Celtics and all of this fan base loves seeing take the court every single night. We'll be right back. I know I've been waiting forever to get back into TD Garden for a live Celtics game, and I know you've been feeling the same way. So why not make up for some lost time? Get in on all of the action for next season by signing up for the Celtics season ticket member waitlist presented by American Express. Listen, when you sign up, you'll get priority access to purchase season ticket memberships for the 2021-22 season once tickets become available. So after you're done listening here, head on over to Celtics.com waitlist to sign up today and you'll be back inside the garden in no time helping your boys grab a win. All right. Well, Marcus, you told us quite a bit about your upbringing and, and really how that impacted really when you were in your years where you were being molded um, by everything that was going on around you. And that turned you into who you are today. But let's talk about who you are today. To me, you're just wired differently, man. Like you're, you're like a different type of dude that's out there on the court every night. And really, for the people who don't know you all too well, you're different off the court as well. You've got a very tight inner circle you don't go on social media all too often. You're off there, or you're you're on there mostly to promote your community um, goings and what you're trying to do for kids out there with your Young Game Changers Foundation. Talk to me about why that is the case. Like, why do you have such a tight inner circle and you don't want to go on social media and you don't go out and party? That's just not really who you are uh, in your bones. For me. It, it really just goes stems back to, you know, losing two two people in my life that were very important. But just growing up in general, you know, my mom always taught us, you know, that it's better to give than to receive. Never stop your blessings, you know, by helping somebody else. You know, you do it because it's the right thing to do. Nothing in return. And so when my brother passed, you know, I wanted to start, you know, the Young Game Changer Foundation to help find a cure for cancer and mentor, you know, the youth and the younger kids especially in the urban cities and things like that. And then, of course, following that, my mom comes down with, with the cancer as well. So it, it, it really just, I guess, prompted me to keep going even more and that I was on the right track of doing the right thing. And, and what I what what I felt I was put on this, you know, this earth to do, you know, I, and I always told my mom and, and people who know me, you know, I tell them a lot, like, you know, why are you why, like, why are you so happy? Like off the court, like you're different. I'm like, listen, like, why are you such a, uh, a, a good person, like, and I just told him, you know, from everything I've been through, you know, and that I understand, you know, what parents, what families go through of losing a, a loved one at an early age or older age, or just losing them in general. So my job, you know, is to to bring a smile. And like I told him, if I could bring a smile to just one person's face, then I did my job here. My mom always told me there's always somebody going through something way worse than you are. Never forget that. And usually you don't know that they're going through that. Exactly. It's a lot that you don't know people. So for me, it's not so quick to judge a person just off of, you know, what they're going through or how they acted in this certain moment, because you don't know what prompted them to do that. You know, you don't know what they're going through at that time. So, you know, being able to have this foundation, being able to talk to kids or having, you know, families and and younger kids that, you know, are trying to deal with certain problems that they have no clue. You know, for me, it was a little bit tougher because I didn't have somebody to just sit me down and be like, I've been through what you're going through. I understand it. I know this is going to happen. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to be that person. 
and be that for everybody. And the social media thing, you know, I never really big bid on social media. Social media is a lot of trouble. You know, I love social media for the simple, you know, it's a lot of ways, it's a platform for you to use in different aspects. You know, a lot of people on social media, a lot of people generate revenue from, from social media, uh-huh. you know, so, you know, social media is great, you know, and I, I think it is great, but it's not for everybody and it's not for me. You know, um, I'm not really. Sometimes it can be really toxic. Like it can be very let's not toxic. Beat around the bush. It's it can that's be just very what it is. toxic. You know, too much of anything can be toxic. So I'm not the one to like to really be seen. I think it kind of shows with the way I play. I'm more of a playmaker than anything. I love, you know, getting my teammates involved. The social media never really clicked with me. I never been to social media. I didn't get a Facebook until my senior year of high school. I didn't get an Instagram until midway of my freshman year of college, and that's because I was forced to on both of those because my friends like, you have to get one. <laughs> it's just it's just weird. You know, I just want to be, like I said, I I just want to be that person that, you know, when kids look up, you know, they could say that, you know, not basketball-wise, but life-wise, like, you know, I look up to him, you know, in that aspect that, you know, he understands me. Like, I can actually sit down and talk to him. And the kids that I, I mentor and talk to, like, we keep it real. You know, I tell them keep it as real as possible. You know, I don't talk to them. You know, I don't sugarcoat anything with them. I keep it real. Whatever, like, there's nothing you can't ask me where it's off balance. It's uh, it's out of balance for us, you know. We talk about it all. And just people I talk to in general, you know. I'm As you can see, I'm an open book. Like, I'm, you ask me about my life, I'm not going to hide anything, you know. I, even with my that's brother. That's why you're perfect for this podcast, man. <laughs> Seriously, that's why we wanted to have you on here. Because you have a great story and we want people to hear it. You say you don't you don't want to be flashy though, you don't want to put yourself out there, but you wear the robe topless <laughs> with a lion on it. What is Gucci, right? Is it Gucci? Versace, Versace. Versace. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're putting something out there for the record. <laughs> uh, and then social media, if you're not on it, how difficult is it though to you guys talk about how it can be toxic? How difficult is it to block all of that out and all of the criticism and I think Especially in a season like this one, you know, the fans have a lot to say and, and a lot of it is, is pretty negative. Have you ever thought about getting a burner account? Like, has there ever been a moment no. that you just like almost just wanted to respond to someone or say something? No, because if I respond or say something, I want you to know it's coming from me. I, I, I don't because I've actually have responded to some people privately before that was kind of, you know, being negative. And as we all know. That negativity that they were showing online, when you actually hit them up, that changes. It's like that, <laughs> quick as possible. You know, I've I've had some guys talking crap about me, and it was crazy. And I I DM'd them, and you know, I said, if you get, listen, if you got anything to say, I'm right here. I'm not hiding from you. I'm not with the. You know, I need everybody to hear my conversation. Like even when I get into arguments, like if I have something to say, I'm not going to social media. I'm a DM you personally. That's between us. It's, I don't need everybody in my business, you know, and that's just kind of how I was raised, you know. But, yeah, I, I never really did the burner accounts. I don't really like them. Like, if I got something to say or I feel like if you're going to say something, stand on it, show your face, show your name, stop hiding behind it. Go ahead and do it. Marcus, you take that same attitude into the locker room, right? I mean, we heard the story about the bubble and the altercation between um, you and Jalen. And I'm just curious how. To clear that up, I did not throw anything, by the way. Did anyone throw anything? Wasn't me. I'm not saying anything. I don't know what was thrown. I actually left. That's what I'm saying. I left and went to the restaurant. You weren't even there. I, so, but of course, you know, it's a reputation behind me. It's been a hothead. So it is what it is. You know, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with being that martyr for this team because we need it. And I'm perfectly fine being that. My teammates, like I said, they respect me. They understand that it's coming from a great place when I do have those moments. But no, I did not throw anything in the bubble. And, and yeah, clear that. How have those conversations evolved as you have taken on a larger leadership role? And how do you view yourself as being that guy in the locker room whose job it is to say something? It's a thin line, though, you know, because you're dealing with different personalities. You know, we have a lot of Pisces and Aries on this team. You know, those are a lot of emotional (laughs) creatures. We're going astrology here. Yeah, Yeah. You know, even in the past, like, you know. It was a lot of Pisces, you know, and Aries in here. So it was a lot of emotions. And it's, it's, you know, you have to, you know, you have to tread lightly. But at the same time, you know, you have to be to the point where, you know, you have to be real with yourself. And that's not, that's everybody, you know. And in order for us to be where we want to be, like, we can't sugarcoat anything with us. Because it's just only going to, you know, cause more strife between us or 
you know, cause more negativity throughout, you know, the workplace. So, you know, you just try to be as blunt as you can respectfully. And like I said, you know, you got to be you got to know who you're talking to. You know, certain people you can talk to certain ways and still get your point across. You just got to keep it real. And I think that's what, you know, the team that we have, you know, we're able to sit down and, you know, talk, just talk, you know, no matter what. You know, if you don't like something about this person or you don't like something about what's going on, talk about it. Don't just let it build up. And I think over the years we allowed it to build up a lot instead of just talking about it. So. Me being that person that has come on out and saying and kind of, you know, hit the elephant in the room right away. I think it allows other guys whose personalities isn't probably prompted to just come out and be that allows them to have a safe haven. Like, all right, what's well, out? Like, we can actually talk about it like, and not feel guilty or feel like, you know, they're stepping on your toes. You said that you have a reputation as a hothead, but I don't I don't think that the reputation is that you're a hothead. I think the reputation is just that you're incredibly emotional. And I think that you have kind of told us the story of why you are so emotional, because all of these things from your childhood fuel who you are today on and off the court. I do have a line about your emotional state, though, that I was told by someone close to you about there's a line between playing emotional and playing emotionally drunk. I'm sure you know where that's coming from. (laughs) But how difficult how difficult is that to toe that line? in the middle of the game that matters so much to you that you want to bring wins to this franchise, but at the same time, you want to bring out as much emotion as you can because that's what fuels what you do every night. Wait, hold on, Mark. We're going behind the scenes. So who's your anonymous source? Yeah, that's I want to know Kenny. Ah. That's Kenny. Of course is Kenny. Kenny Bourne. You know, he's always he's always said that since my freshman year. And Kenny Kenny was Marcus's high one of Marcus's high school coaches. So just to share that with everyone. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. But yeah, he's definitely been saying that since my my freshman year. It's to the point where you know I've been always told and taught that, and we kind of forget that you know not everybody thinks the same as you. Not everybody feels the same as you. So you know my emotions the way I bring them out and the way I play, somebody else might not play like that. So they might live vicariously through me emotionally because they like, that's him. Like we need that from him and I'm going to ride it off of him because that's him. So for me, everything in my childhood fueled it. I just go out there and like I said, I play every game like it's my last because it possibly could be. And and like I said, my brother's life was taken too soon and uh, he didn't get a, a chance to live his dream. So, But how hard is it to toe that line though? Because there, there have been moments, both in college and I'm sure in high school and in the pros, where you've gone over it and you probably admit it, but it was just your emotions getting a hold of you. How, how tough is it to toe that line? Yeah, so it, it's very tough. Everybody knows that I wear my, my, my heart on my sleeve and it's, I'm very passionate. And it's tough because of the simple fact, like I said, not everybody feels the same way you feel. It's kind of like people who drink when they're you know, intoxicated and you're not, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, what is going on? Like, oh, my God. Dude, like, I can't believe, like, I'm dealing with this right now. That's kind of how it is. Like, that's how people feel about me all the time, Marcus. <laughs> no, but are you trying to say that's how people feel about you when you're out there and you're emotional? And- oh, that's how I feel when I'm the one emotional and, and I don't feel that from everybody else. It's like, I don't see how y'all don't feel this passion that I feel. Like, I don't see how y'all... Like, y'all don't want to go out here and, and give everything you have on the court. And once again, I have to stop myself and realize sometimes because not everybody went through what you went through. Not, not everybody experienced the things that you experienced at a young age, early age, and had to see and witness that gives you this fuel. They get their fuel another way. So that's what makes it hard because you've been taught this way. You care so much that it's like when you don't see people matching it, it comes off as they don't care. And it comes off as an arrogant type of feeling to you. And it's like, that's not how I was raised. I work too hard. I work just as hard as you. Like, I need everything you got because you're going to get everything I had. And that's where the line comes because you expect people to feel how you feel. But like I said, you can't because not everybody is brought up the same way or experienced the same things that you experienced. And one guy who I'm sure you've talked to quite a bit throughout your career here with the Celtics about that emotional state is Danny Ainge. I know you guys are really tight. Why are you tight? Talk about emotional, though, by the way. Danny on the sideline. <laughs> Danny on the oh, sideline. Keeping, not keeping anything in check. That, that, is, that is pure. No. Like, give me, give me a, a Danny camera during the games. I just want to see that. Yeah. 
Oh man, please, we need that. <laughs> we need that. Just the the ratings will skyrocket I, if, if we I get a Danny they, can. I think they would. <laughs> I think they would. But I think with Danny, for me, you guys are polar opposites from the outside. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think for Danny, he I think when he looks at me, it reminds him of himself in some ways. Where you know, Danny was a little fiery on the court as well, as we all know. So. And still is like Danny will go play golf. And if he loses, we will hear about it the next day. Like <laughs> he's like, yeah, it was just worse. Like he just goes in and even on the court, you know, you hear Danny sometimes yelling at you and just calling you out for your BS. And, you know, you have somebody like that, 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 that's willing, you know, to do that. You know, you respect them in a whole different manner because it's not easy to be able to call people out and, and, you know, and do that because, not only as you calling people out, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and be like, are all my ducks in order before I call somebody out? So, and even if they aren't, I still have to be able to call these people out knowing that I might get called out back and accepting that criticism that comes with that. And uh, so with Danny, I think like, that's what, that's what me and Danny click because we're, we're, we're the Spider-Man thing. You know, I know everybody's been talking about that meme, the Spider-Man meme, you know, in the mirror, that's me you, and Danny. No, it's you. Me. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's me and Danny. Like, it's like, I'm the playful one on the team and we'll come in here and Danny's playful. Like, Danny's always wants to put his hands on you. He wants to grab you. He wants to hug you. He wants to wrestle you. And you're like, Danny, come on, dude. Like, enough's enough. But when he comes to me, I'm all for it. So I'm like, you met your match today, Danny. Like, we can do this all day. So Let's hug this out. Uh, yeah, that's it. So I think I think that's where that comes in with me and Danny. That reminds me of a quote I read from you, Marcus, that I thrive on contact. Contact is in my nature. I think contact that describes that team. relationship. It describes <laughs> the way you play on the court. But how has your relationship with Brad evolved? Ooh. And he talks about it now all the time, Just just how much trust there is between the two of you. Yeah, you know, uh, everybody's seen him. Me and Brad had our on-court differences. We, we've had our spills on the court. We've had our spills off the court, you know, but we always come back the next day, and, you know, we, we sit down and we accept it. I think with Brad is the trust that comes. I think I'm the, the extended version of Brad that we don't get to see. And that's the fiery side that we want to see. That we don't get to see. Right. That you don't you get, get to, to see it. Exactly. That you guys don't get to see that everybody. Did Brad throw the I'm, thing in the locker room in the bubble? No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what it is. Like, I'm his alter ego that everybody wants to see is Brad get a little upset. And Brad is my alter ego of where everybody constantly wants to see me sometimes. It's just cool and just relax. And that's Brad. So we kind of balance each other out. You know, he's a positive. I'm a negative. So we're like, we're right there. We go together. I think that's why we've been able to, to, to kind of fit so well, because he understands and I understand like that my emotions come from a, a, a great place. It doesn't come from any malice. It comes from a place where, you know, I care about my teammates. I care about my culture staff, I care about winning. And I care about this organization and, and, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice not, you know, everything, my body, my money for those guys. And I think that right there, you know, allows that respect and that trust to continue to grow. And that right there is a perfect way for us to end this portion of the conversation. But Marcus, before we let you go, we're going to dive into some rapid fire questions here. Abby and I are going to kind of go back and forth. We've got about five or 10 here. So we just want quick answers on this. We're going to start out. You ready? Ready. All right, here they come. Funniest teammate you've ever had? Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague, that is shocking to me. He's so quiet. And and exactly, he's quiet, but when he gets around us, he's a different person. So is Romeo. Like those two Indiana guys, they're totally different when they're when they're comfortable. It's a different type of people, persons that you see from those guys. They're they're always cracking jokes. This one might uh, offend, make some people angry. Is all I'm saying. Cause some strife in the locker room. Who's the best dressed? Probably Tristan. I'm gonna have to go with Tristan. Mm. He's got that L.A. swag. Exactly, you know. Um, but it's, it's, it probably might offend a lot of people, like Jalen, but who cares? <laughs> Jalen thinks, thinks he's the best dressed. Biggest impact on you as a teammate? I'm going to have to go with two, Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas. Your favorite pizza? I would probably have to say... Oh, you just made a face like you don't like pizza. I'm not a big pizza fan. Ooh. All right, uh, you don't have to I answer that. Say, okay, good. I, I, Will you I, eat I, pineapple on a pizza? No, no. Come on. Good answer. No, good no. answer. That's the only no. right answer. Love <laughs> All pineapple right. on pizza. Favorite moment as a Celtic? I want to say, was it 2000, 
17, the playoffs, where we went into Cleveland and, uh, you know, had that stellar game against Kyrie and LeBron with the seven threes to, to win it and break that their, their little streak that they had going of the win. So I'll probably say that, that, that game. What is your hidden talent, non-basketball related? We talked about how you can dunk. We know you got yeah. that. And we've seen the trick uh, shots. What's your hidden talent? I love to dance. I could sing a little bit. I, I used to take choir. So nobody really knows it. I also used to play the piano a little bit, not as much anymore. You and Walter McCarty must have had some nights together back when he was with the Celtics then. Yeah, huh? we used to harmonize together. <laughs> Favorite robe. This one might be obvious. Favorite robe? Favorite robe. Oh no. <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna go with the Royal Blue Versace robe. My mom loved that one. And that was kind of like our favorite that we had together. Is that with the gold trim? With the gold trim. Yeah. Yep. All right. Gold trim. There we go. What's your so your mom liked the robes? She was on board she with the robe game? She loved them. She loved them. She just loved the way they looked. She loved that whole that whole vibe that they gave off. The best bowler on the team, because with your young game changer foundation, that is one of the big fundraisers that you do every year. Best bowler. Oh man. I don't know. And now Mookie Betts is gone from Boston. So you can't I know that's what I'm saying. So I can't I can't I can't say Mook. But I don't know, because I haven't really seen the new guys bowl, so I don't really know. Because um, you can't go bowling right now. Because we can't go bowling. I don't know about that one. I have to I, I have to reevaluate the, the competition. What's the best podcast in the world? Say this one. Yeah. It's a view yeah. from the Definitely Raptors the behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. No, Marcus Smart, that's a wrap, man. We appreciate you coming on. This has been uh, a lot of fun to really get to know what you went through as a kid that that turned you into the guy that we love seeing every night out on the court. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Marcus. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.